So we wanted to give a big shout out and thank you to our patrons First Winter and Sarah Turner, uh, who are in the sustainer category of our uh, Patreon supporters. They are um, helping to support us and help Liam do the editing and the social media at this point and helping us to maintain this podcast and keep producing a uh, either every week or every other week. We try to do it as often as we can. So thank you, um, especially First Winter and Sarah Turner for your patron support. We really do appreciate it. We understand that not everyone has the ability at this moment, particularly in America's unchecked depression, but we really, really do need the support and are very grateful. You help us mm-hmm. get the word out and help other people get inspired. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if anyone wants to contact us, just email us at it's not just in your head at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash it's not just in your head. In the mental health field, too often, we've made it seem as if it's just in your head. Just in your head. The landlord can hijack the rent by 20%. That impacts people's mental health. We can't have a profit-driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy. So, hello, everybody. Welcome back to It's Not Just in Your Head. And today we have a special guest named Talia Smith, who is active in the Omaha Tenants Union, as well as the Autonomous Tenants Union Network, uh, two really important projects going on. Um, Talia, can you tell us about your involvement in those projects? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I joined Omaha Tenants United in early 2019, um, which was about six months probably after it formed. It formed in summer of 2018. And I, before I knew anything about the tenants union, I had had my own renting issues as most tenants have. Um, I rented in like a pretty crappy apartment. It had like bed bugs, roaches. Um, It would flood and the ceiling would collapse all the time. But it was also in like a gentrifying neighborhood and it was cheap. It was, you know, near everything that we needed. It was on a bunch of bus lines so I could take public transit. Um, And the landlord was pretty much a slumlord, but he like, left us alone. So we were actually pretty content. And the problem really started when somebody else bought the building and all the problems were getting fixed, but also all of our neighbors were getting evicted so that they could renovate and raise the rent. So we kind of knew that like we were going to be next. We probably weren't going to be evicted, but they were going to raise the rent to what we couldn't afford. And so it put us in such a tight position of either we're in this uninhabitable apartment that like we have all these problems like bugs that we have to deal with all the time, but we also know all our neighbors were relatively happy. The rent's pretty cheap or, you know, we have to go to somewhere where these problems are fixed, but it's more expensive. And so we ultimately ended up moving and I think I've moved, you know, once a year since then. And that's always been the case is either find something cheap and crappy or find something more expensive and nicer. And Omaha is in a lot of neighborhoods are in the early stages of gentrification here. So mm. the rent just keeps like, it's not horrible now, but every single year landlords are just raising the rent. And so it gets too expensive, move to a crappier place. Um, mm. But long story short, that was kind of my situation and was just feeling really frustrated and stuck and mm. like lacking options. And then I actually worked for the city at that time. And I saw 
Omaha Tenants United come and speak because they were trying to stop a slumlord from getting a tax break. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just seeing that there was a group of people in the city who like recognized that those were the issues going on and were doing something about it. Like I felt like, oh my gosh, there's other people like noticing this and doing something. It's not just me. Um, and so I got involved in Omaha Tenants United then and have been pretty involved ever since. And then in terms of the Autonomous Tenants Union Network is actually a national network of tenant unions. So they started by having like calls nationally, just conference calls. Um, I think in like, I think in 2019, but then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, they had already been planning on like having a founding convention, mm-hmm. but kind of really ramped that up, decided to do it virtually and finally formalized the network in October and so I'm the Omaha Tenants United delegate for Autune. And then I'm also involved in our training and political education committee with Autune. So we do a lot of town halls. Um, we're doing a book club coming up, stuff like that, just mm-hmm. to kind of share education and resources. Do you have any legislative protections for yourself? Like in New York, there is there are rules that you can't raise the rent. Too much, and if you're in a rent-controlled or rent-stabilized building, you have some protections, or is that non-existent in Omaha? It's I wouldn't say almost non-existent. So, um, yeah, there are very few protections. Um, there are, you know, requirements about the amount of notice that landlords have to give you before eviction before evicting. Um, there are code enforcement laws that landlords are technically supposed to follow, except for there's really no actual enforcement of those. So if repairs aren't getting done, there's nothing really that tenants legally can do. We don't even have an explicit law that allows you to withhold rent to get repairs. You like kind of can, but it's based in like contract law and lease violations and not in like the actual landlord tenant act. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really, really nothing here. And no, there's no rent control laws or anything like that either. Yeah. Well, one of the things that reading about you made me think about was how in New York City, the Communist Party would go wherever people were being evicted and put their furniture back in and stand outside and be supportive because there was this, well, one out of four families had an active communist member. It was like being in the progressive Democrats now in terms of popularity. But there was this awareness that the basic needs people have, including shelter, should not be part of capitalism. I wonder how that awareness, or if that awareness is part of your organizing. Absolutely. Um, I would say um, that like Omaha Tenants United specifically has always made anti-capitalism a big part of our organizing. So that's um, in our points of unity that we're an anti-capitalist organization. But I think also just nationally and seeing it with other Autune unions, um, that's, that's pretty much the case is talking about housing as a human right. Housing is something that shouldn't be like commodified and for purchase. And that's really that energy, I think, that like the Communist Party in New York had I mean, that's why they have had tenant associations in buildings in New York for like a century, right? And um, other places don't have that. And so that's kind of the energy that we're trying to bring back in the tenant movement now. And um, we haven't done a ton of eviction defense, like physically going back into people's homes in Omaha. Um, 
especially with the lack of protections that we have here. It's a really uphill battle to like get people organized. So we're kind of more building a base, but especially in LA, um, in New York, they've been doing a lot of eviction defense, especially with illegal evictions, since they do have more protections that they can, the landlords will change the locks and they'll all get together and change the locks back and break back in. So definitely nationally, that's something that's happening. Yeah. Can you go ahead, please. Can, can you, Talia, explain just for listeners who aren't familiar with what the eviction defense process is, like just to describe what that looks like on the ground a little bit? Yeah, it kind of depends on what the goal is. Um, eviction defense in general is just most, mostly physically showing up to stop or delay an eviction. But really depending on whether it was a legal or illegal eviction, depending on whether the tenant wants to stay or whether they just need more time to move is going to dictate what the actual actions are, but generally it's getting some kind of rapid response team together who can show up when someone's getting evicted. And then either um, like Omaha Tenants United has done things like babysit a house. Basically, if the tenant has to go to work, we don't know here when the sheriff is going to show up. It could be anywhere from one to 10 days after the eviction notice or after the eviction is ordered. So we will like stay at their house so that we can call them if the sheriff does show show up so that they can have a chance to move their stuff. Um, So that's something that we've done. If it's an illegal eviction and the tenants being locked out, like I mentioned, the sometimes landlords will just change the locks, but they didn't go through the courts to do it. That's one where you can really show up and actually stop the eviction. Um, The police generally are going to show up. They're going to be on the landlord's side immediately And so, but I know in LA, they have had success when the police get called. They're like, look, this wasn't an eviction that was ordered. We're actually legally in the right here. And then often the the police actually will leave them alone and let them go back in. But you can do it for a a legal eviction too, just depending on how much, um, Mm -hmm. how far you want to go with the direct action. I mean, what, what would inspire people to, to potentially take such risk, right? Where you're, you're maybe you're taking work off or you're, I don't know, of all the other things you could be doing with your time, you're showing up to, I mean, it could be sort of a, a quote unquote comrade's house. It could just be a total stranger that's maybe part of the tenants union or, or effort. Um, but to go there and to physically block the door or to talk with police, I mean, what almost, you know, just psychologically, like, what do you think, I mean, for yourself, if you've been involved in these on the ground or for those, you know, I mean, what do you think inspires people to, to, you know, sort of escalate to that level of, of risk and, and potential confrontation to defend their neighbors. Yeah, I almost feel like it's, for me, I feel like it's the shared problem that we all have. And then just knowing that sticking together is the best solution. So just like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I have it better than, you know, plenty of other tenants do. I've never been evicted. Um, I usually almost self-evict really when my lease is up. And if the rent is going up, then I'm like, fine, I'll just move. I'm not going to fight against it just depending on what building I've lived in and stuff. But I mean, like we're all in a situation where if we can't pay rent, then we can be evicted, you know, having no protections. And so if anything were to happen, that would be a situation that any tenant could be in, in Omaha. And just knowing that that's, that's the conditions that we're all in together. And just also having seen what can be done then when we act all together to stop it. I mean, seeing, Mm. I don't know how familiar people are with like the Portland Red House eviction defense that happened recently. Mm. Um, And that one was for homeowners even um, who are at Mm. risk of foreclosure. 
but and hearing about you know showing up with the the lock picking and having um oh it's it called people that change locks whatever um yeah, on board lock, who will show up yeah locksmiths yeah. mm-hmm. and just like seeing communities support each other i think it's like that seems like just the best option mm-hmm. um to get the problem fixed and it's also mm-hmm. Anytime you take an action with like a group of people and you're all in it together, it's also just a really good feeling of like, we are in this together. We're not alone in this situation. And so if I were in that situation, I would want everyone to show up for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's very exciting to see that people can be empowered to act together because if anything showed us, it would be the Senate races recently won in Georgia by the first black person and the first Jewish person who ever won a Senate seat there because of rigorous organizing. And I'm curious as to how you get that sense of empowerment and also connect with others with that potential of empowerment on their own living situation as well as their own possibilities. Yeah, I think one thing that's really big is just talking about and thinking about those possibilities. Um, One of the biggest hurdles for organizing here, and I imagine is similar in other places that don't have as much of a history or organizing foundation as um, say New York City does, and even even then it's still, I'm sure, a challenge, is kind of getting over that individualism that we feel. Um, Thinking of it as not just, this is not just a contract between, you know, two equal consumer and provider, landlord and tenant, like there's a power imbalance there that you can see just looking at the laws and how many of them are there to protect tenants and how many of them are there to protect property. And so one thing when we that we're trying to work on um, in Omaha is just how do we get people engaged? Because you can sign up to join Omaha Tenants United online. Um, our dues are anywhere from 2 to $10 a month. And so people can sign up and join but then how do we get them actually involved too? Because I think there's often an idea that you're going to sign up for an organization and you're either just going to support through donations or it's going to be like a volunteer thing where you show up to a nonprofit and the staff gives you a task to do, you do it and then leave. But like organizing is so much more than that. Um, It can be incredibly time consuming. Um, It can be really hard. It can be really challenging. Like there are a lot of emotions that come along with it. Um, just do and just doing that work. So it's kind of fighting that culture of like volunteerism and individualism and getting mm-hmm. people seeing that like this is the way that we can have things that we never even imagined were possible just because you know it's not what people talk about. Hmm. Has it changed your mental outlook getting empowered in this organization? Absolutely. I think. It's still really hard for my own like renting struggles. Like I am still very much a person that even though I know I have this group that will have my back no matter what, um, I'm still the type of person who's like nervous to call my landlord about repairs or nervous to send a letter to get my deposit back. And so Mm -hmm. that's something that we really have to like work on overcoming in ourselves and in the tenants that we work with is just that fear. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It just like there's so much power imbalance that this person, you know, could cause you to lose your home just because they're mad at you, right? So 
there's that fear mm-hmm. there of taking action. Uh, I really respect the the tenants that I've worked with who are just not afraid at all. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a personality thing or experiences that they have had or what, but I'm so jealous mm-hmm. of that. But in general, I'm very, very optimistic about the tenant movement, especially mm-hmm. through Autune and getting to be a part of a national network where people are doing mm-hmm. different conditions, but also similar at the same time, you know, just depending on the city that they live in, but we're sharing tactics and we're sharing resources and, you know, tenant unions are just popping up all the time. And just knowing that just makes me feel really optimistic about the movement as a whole, even if I'm afraid to, you know, take care of those situations on my own life. You said a moment ago, the thing about nonprofits, which I, I had like a smirk because um, I, it's a little bit of a obsession of like, you know, I just, I, I talk a lot of crap about nonprofits. Like I worked for one for like five years and I just saw the whole the complex and everything, but you mentioned that, and that the Autune points of unity also makes clear from what I've read, and we'll we'll link this in descri- description for anyone who wants to read. But like, kind of makes clear that um, you know, Autune is not a nonprofit organization, and um, Autune is not a service provider organization. And some of that languaging I thought was really interesting, maybe jarring for some people when they first see it. Um, cause it's like very kind of bold and it's saying like, here's a bunch of things we're not, and here's a bunch of things we are to kind of set it as an organization, um, apart from a lot of other organizations and to create a network of organizations with the same way of thinking in those terms. And I guess I, I'm, cause I've had my own kind of interpretations from reading that language and thinking about it myself, like, okay, yeah, tenants unions that are autonomous, they're not necessarily beholden to, you know, the so-called donor class or government contracts or mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Or or some some board of directors that none of the workers actually have a relationship or know anything about or whatever, right? There's there's this this vision of of um, I think what you're saying instead of sort of volunteerism and this weird hierarchy. I guess I'm like answering the, my own question, but the, the the question is like where where did that um, where did that thinking come from? Because it seemed like it was really well developed and um, and that longer term vision of like internally how you operate and what your what your approach is to organizing just seems really um, I mean to me it's refreshing but mm. where, where where did that thinking come from for all of you Yeah absolutely and I know um kind of a conversation that came up at the Autune convention when we were you know ratifying those points of unity is that it's not we're not just inherently against nonprofits because of right. their legal structure. We're not inherently against um, receiving, you know, one-off grants or anything. So it's not like hard and fast rules. But really, what it is is just focusing on the fact that we want to be a network of tenant unions that are, like you said, led by the members and not by a board of directors or a staff, but by the people who are actually in the organization. And so. If a nonprofit has that structure and they're just a nonprofit because that's the you know legal side of it that works for their taxes or something, then mm-hmm. you know that's largely okay. But what it is is just mm-hmm. being having that membership led, having not um, you know just a, a manager that the politician can call when they want to talk to the union right. or something. Like um, the LA Tenants Union tells a really good story about a meeting with the city that they had once where the city was like, well, we don't know who your contact is. We don't know how to get in contact with you. And there were all these law two members in an auditorium and they were like, this is how you talk to all of us. And so I think it's just that mm-hmm. feeling is really where it comes from, um, that mm-hmm. autonomy and that that empowerment and that acting on behalf of ourselves and our community and not 
for others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you noticed a change in people's hope that they can do something lately? I think so. I think it's a combination of like optimism and hope, but also knowing the challenge that we have ahead too. It's really amazing to see all of the people that are just learning how to organize and getting involved and spending so much time um, working on this. Mm -hmm. And that makes me really, really hopeful. And I know tenants who like engage in those fights with landlords, like I mentioned before, it can be really like scary and really Mm -hmm. challenging. Yeah. But there's also Mm -hmm. that like, it's not the organizing that makes it scary and challenging. It's the existing conditions that make it scary right. and challenging. And so the organizing and when you win, or even if you don't win, but now, you know, now you know your neighbors and you didn't before, and you know that the next fight you'll have already that base of relationships to start with. Um, I think that's really empowering. Well, another, York, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Harriet. In New York City, there are huge complexes like the Lefrak complex with about 50,000 people who have decided they're not going to pay rent till after the pandemic. And you wonder, you know, how do people understand that they have the power to make change? And I think part of it you've described, they, they hear about organizations, they know there's other people. But what do you think is what gives people the sense that I will disobey the lines of dominance and submission that I have learned? I will stand up with others. Hmm. What is that mental, psychological transformation that you achieve by getting people to be active with you? Yeah, really good question. And I wish that I had like a really good or straightforward answer to it. But I think it is, I think it's a lot of like, I think one way that we think of it in organizing is um, there's a moment in a one-on-one conversation. So a Mm one-on-one conversation is where you're basically trying to um, get someone to take action, to organize. Mm -hmm. Um, So you talk about like, what are the problems that you're facing? How do they make you feel? What, do you, what have you already tried? Because often people have already tried talking one-on-one to their landlord. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a point in it that we call framing the hard question. And it's, you know, just what do you think is going to happen if you don't take action? Oh, is that cool. worth it? Is that how you want mm-hmm. to continue? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's, there's going to be that fear from that conversation. You know, even sometimes it's mm-hmm. a fear of just, I don't want to go knock on my neighbor's doors because we're so isolated that we don't talk to our neighbors. And so if our ask is like, go talk to your neighbors, see if they're having similar problems. Like, and they're like, oh, you know, I don't want to bug anybody or I don't really know them. And it's like, okay, well, you've already tried going by yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, does that feel good? Or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is the opportunity to make, you know, create a change? And so I think there has to just be that like choice of either things are going to continue in a way that we already know we don't like, or, Mm It might be scary, it might be challenging, but there's also this opportunity that it could be, you know, completely different than how it is now. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's something really similar and really, I mean, everything you just said touches on, I think, the crux of like what can be really transformative about what happens in a sort of a therapeutic or counseling relationship and 
what can happen in an organizing relationship that the, the transformative capacity is like almost identical, I think, in a lot of ways, because you're kind of like, I mean, it depends on the situation, but often, you know, if somebody in a building or, or somebody in a situation like turns to the tenants union or the tenant group or the organizer and is like, hey, can you help me out? It's like kind of similar to like, hey, therapist, can you help me process the, the things or whatever? Um, but but there's this point at which I think from the organizer's perspective, based on what you said, you're just sort of like holding a mirror in a certain way, which is also kind of what we do as therapists, you know, and you're like, well, here's here's kind of what's going on. Like, here's what you have stated is happening to you because of what this this sort of powerful force above you is sort of doing to you. Like you yourself are are describing this and um and so it's just sort of reflecting that back to people and then sort of offering, like you say, whether it's framing the hard question or, and then offering options like, well, you know, there's 10 other people in this building. Mm-hmm. Do you want us to, you know, you could do it on your own or do you want us to go with you to like try to get some signatures for this petition or whatever? Um, and I mean, I've, um, I've seen a little bit, you know, I'm way newer to this than you are, Talia, but in part because of the trainings that y'all are providing for so many tenants unions, including the one I'm involved in. Um, I mean, I've already seen people go from being in a state of fear and isolation to, oh, there's other people in my building. I haven't really considered talking to them for any reason to all of a sudden, oh, they have the same issue. Now we have a reason to talk to each other. And then there's this potential for connectivity, um, not just because like, oh no, the bad guys are coming for us. I mean, that's, you know, that's usually kind of there, but like now we kind of have a reason to talk to each other and work together. Um, and like, anyway, I just, that just made me, it made me feel really kind of inspired and hopeful and thinking that there's, I think there is a, a lot of transformative capacity um, within this process. And I, I also just think like to sort of name this, um, for like our field, like for me and Harriet in the mental health and, and therapy field and stuff is I think in our field, we don't really, I think we need to better conceptualize this because of how transformative and important um, the the psychology of organizing can be. Um, so anyway, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for just kind of like um, naming that and, and helping me rant. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. To build on what you said, Max, in therapy, one of the things you get if you have a therapist who's tuned in is the recognition from another human being as a human being. And when you're talking to a landlord who doesn't really, who sees you as a cipher in a profit ledger, you don't Mm -hmm. have the sense of understanding and continuity. And giving that to people is part of what gives people power. And so you're doing that in the tenants' union is part of a personal and political and economic empowerment at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the other part that I was going to bring up next, too, is not only the the realization that, um, say, like, say you're going into a building that you don't live in and you're um, helping those tenants organize there's not only mm-hmm. the realization on their own part that like they need to take action, mm-hmm. but there's often just so much relief from them mm-hmm. that somebody is there to like listen and help them, even if we're restricted in what we can do just because there aren't like the legal protections or whatever, and we can give them the options. Um, 
it's it's always surprised me so much because I'm the type of person that like doesn't answer my door when somebody knocks. I get scared and run away and hide. But I am <laughs> yeah. always have been like shocked at how when we go knock doors on a building, people as soon as you're like, hey, I'm with the tenants union and we're just like, we know there's some problems with repairs in this apartment complex. Is there anything wrong in your unit? People will just like hand you their babies to hold as they walk around and show you <laughs> what's wrong. They'll be like, oh yeah, come in, come look at this. I haven't had hot water in a month. Right. And they're just so like grateful that somebody is there who cares about the problems that they're having. Mm-hmm. And and I think too, like so many of us like, God, it's it's good. I feel like the word trauma is has been like trending for the last decade, where everyone's like talking about like trauma and and intergenerational trauma. Like I'm hearing it in in like common language so much now. And I think something that like there's there's increased consciousness around that, but not necessarily that like what that translates into is that so many people are like chronically distrustful of other people and suspicious of other people, and just mm-hmm. don't don't even know how to imagine that maybe there are other people in the world who are willing to actually go out of their way to help you. And I think there's something transformative about, you know, if when someone does knock on your door and they say, hey, we were at the tenants union, we want to help, not because we're getting paid for it. Like we're not paid staff in a nonprofit. We're not a government uh, paid person. And again, this isn't like anti-nonprofit, anti-government. It's just saying these are people, we're just like you. We're just regular people. And we're trying to you know, we're trying to do something that's aligned with our values, which is to help other people in a similar situation as ourselves. And when people see that, they're like, oh, wait a minute, really? There's people that just help people for the hell of it, you know? And it also like opens up this new option of, well, maybe I could kind of be like that too. Because I think most normal people, that is their values. Their values are like helping people is a good idea. Um, Not necessarily doing it for money or doing it for attention or whatever the hell. It's just like, right, be a good human. Um, cause we've kind of seen that too, where people, they like, they light up a little bit, like their eyes, oh, they're like, oh, and then, and then they're, they want to get involved later too. Right. Like, like, oh, there's a, there's a group of people who care about people. I would like to be a part of that group. Right. <laughs> and that's not a very common, um, that's not the norm, you know? So. No, but I think it's also much more the idea, at least for me, to say I'm here because we need each other in order to win this for all of us. Mm-hmm. Because individually we can be picked off. So I need yeah. you. We all yeah. need each other. Yeah. Because that too, that empowerment, because not only are we nice, but we actually need each other if we're going to make rentals reasonable in this city or, yeah. or whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the one of the challenges that we've had organizing in Omaha too, because um I mean, even ourselves even like knowing that we need to be organizing, which means we need to be asking people to get involved and to do things, there's still that sense of like, oh well, we just want to help people. So we like, you know, let's just do this for you. We'll write this letter and send it. And so it's even mm-hmm. having to fight within ourselves to be like, no, we need each other. We need the tenants that we are going mm-hmm. and knocking on their doors um, right. you know, to take action themselves and to join the union mm-hmm. so that we can support each other. And it's not, we don't become mm-hmm. like that advocacy or service and like one way. So that's something that we have to like right. keep in mind ourselves too. Yeah. Right. Of like, don't, don't solve people's problems that they can solve for themselves. You know, like try, try to unlock the thing within them that motivates them to be able to be like a co-collaborator in the solution. Right. Like don't yeah. be like, Oh, I'll solve all your problems for you. Right. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And also that passivity is something that we're trying as radicals to undo, to have people Mm -hmm. reject the lines of dominance and submission in in which they've been steeped and say, no, I don't Mm -hmm. have to submit to this because I have the power of all these people with me. Right. It's a very different sense. And it is hard to overcome. Like you said, Talia, I mean, you, um, you said yourself, like, you get scared of opening the door. You get scared of like actually contacting the landlord yourself to do these things, right? That it's, I think, like you said, there's because it's also this double-edged sword, which you named as well. Which is yes, it's empowering, but it also sometimes when you open your eye, when you beca- when I guess like class consciousness almost emerges for the first time, you're like, oh wait, this like this person can evict me. They can influence the politicians. They can like they have this high-powered team of lawyers, and I don't know if the local lawyers. Um, I don't know if their high caseload is going to even get them to be able to help me for that long. Cause they'll just, you know, once you realize like, Oh, the lawyer that I do have access to is like really overworked and burnt out or whatever. You're like, Oh my God, this is like really, this is real. Right. Um, they have so much more power than me. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably like a longer term process where we have to keep seeing it over and over again, that working together does get results. It does get results. It does get results. And like there's losses along the way too, but um, but Talia's anyway. is so important. Uh-huh. Talia's point, which is what alternative do you have? Is your landlord suddenly going to give up his profits for you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know when I think about it myself, and I know a lot of a lot of other tenants do this, um, where they'll decide that the fight's not worth it and they're just going to move instead. Um, mm-hmm. if they're getting evicted or if the, the rent is going up. And like, that's absolutely a valid choice. Um, but I think just framing that in terms of like, is that something that you are actually okay with? Um, you know, it might mm-hmm. suck, but maybe that is actually the choice that you want to make. Or is that not mm-hmm. the choice that you want to make, but you feel like it's your only choice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you don't have the energy and you don't want to put up that fight and maybe you don't like your apartment that much anyways, and mm-hmm. you're going to end up finding mm-hmm. a nicer one. And that's like, you know, that's good. That's materially good for that person than if they got out of the home that they didn't want. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the, unfortunately, that is the case so many times too, because just the the rental homes are just so bad that people are just not really attached to their home. And mm-hmm. so that's something, you know, trying to fight too is like, how can we, if you want to stay here, how can we both get you to stay here, but also, you know, do whatever it takes to make this like a home that you actually want to live in too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really important. What, what are you? It's so important. I'm sorry, Max. I interrupted. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I finished. I was just congratulating. <laughs> um, I was gonna see if you wanted to shift a little bit into the uh, <laughs> the solutions. Like, what are the what should housing look like? Right. Um, like, because we maybe a little background. Right. Like, I think. Um, Sometimes it feels like it's just this endless defensive struggle where it's mm-hmm. like the landlords have all the power and we as tenants don't have any power and we have to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And um, the phrase decommodify housing has been around for a while. And I know that you know some of the folks in Autune uh, have been pushing this. Uh, I don't know if it's new, but to me it's new. The phrase abolish rent, rent abolition uh, or abolish landlords altogether. Um, 
which I, when I started reading about it, I was like, this is really interesting. And I wish this became a little more normalized because the conversation is actually a lot more reasonable than I think people would think at first glance. Um, but do you think that would actually be possible, like whether in our lifetime or just in some better society to just get rid of rent and the landlord-tenant relationship altogether? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think, um, I mean, I think there are different ways that it could be done, right? To completely decommodify housing would require an end to, to capitalism. Um, it's so ingrained mm-hmm. in the capitalist system and it's also um, so many alternatives to renting are like homeownership or even community land trusts where the community owns the land and then rents the the property basically. So the um, prices stay the same. It's not like a property that's on the market basically. And so there are a lot of really good piecemeal like policy solutions like that. And so the way that I kind of like to think about it is as we're like constructing the narrative of like decommodify housing or abolishing rent, we really want to be just expanding, like we kind of talked about that political imagination of what's even possible Mm -hmm. and just get people realizing that the way things are are not the way that it has to be. It's not the way that it always has been either um, because Mm -hmm. housing has been commodified for pretty much all of capitalism, but not in the same way now than it was in like the industrial era, right? So the idea, uh, like neoliberalism, does a really good job of making us think that the way things are is the way that it always has been and has to be. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is just breaking out of that and realizing that there are other solutions and just keeping that like broad, like abolish rent. Mm-hmm. And then people will be like, oh, well, how will you do it? And my honest answer is always however that community wants to do it. Because mm-hmm. I think that if we're fighting for control of housing and we're fighting for like people to be empowered to have choices over where they live um, and have that not taken out of their hands, then I think it really does, it could look different in different spaces. If a community land trust is what works really well for one community, then that's awesome. Mm-hmm. If completely socializing housing um, is the option and that's what people want there, then that's great. So I think that it, those decisions kind of have to be made on like a more local level, but there can certainly be models. Um, mm-hmm. But I think to me that it's just really that that social control and that community control part to me is, is really important. And so I think it's really whatever communities want to work towards. Yeah. Makes sense. The, are you familiar with the, uh, this is newer thing in the Bay area, the, uh, the EB PREC, the East Bay permanent real estate cooperative. You come across that at all? I don't think so. Okay. No, um, I, I'm not an expert, but it's a really, it's like one of the many iterations of that where it's like, they tried to, um, it's a combination of community land trust, housing cooperative, and worker cooperative. I think they just sat down and they were like, somebody just like did drugs and hung out on a weekend. And they're like, <laughs> what is like the absolute coolest possible way that housing could work? All right, let's do that. And it also um, is a little bit of crowdfunding. So like what they, they incorporated is like a California Cooperative Corporation. They have some like staff, but it's a worker co-op and how they... Uh, run the, I'm probably butchering this, but this is my understanding. And I just thought like, oh, this is a, like, this could probably be scaled. So you get people that like run the so-called real estate thing, but the real estate thing is the uh, community land trust um, in order to develop housing cooperatives for, uh, you know, owner members to live in, but all of it's funded by sort of crowdsourcing shares that are investments 
because um, it's not it's not a nonprofit. They're not seeking donations. They're seeking investments by community members as like shares of the real estate that circulates back into paying the worker owners, um, and they get a little bit of money in return from the. It's not rent. It's like how housing cooperatives work, where it's almost like membership fees. Yeah. But that but that pay the local community members. Who, so anyway, it's like as you can see, it's like this complex model, but um, but some really smart people sat down and said, like, how would we just be able to do this in the most democratic way, not through public housing, since that's just really hard, you know, that requires like mm-hmm. shooting for more federal funding and stuff, which is like, when's that ever going to happen? Um, and then taking housing off of the speculative market. So I just, I was like, okay, that's, that's a cool thing. It's not being talked about a whole lot yet. Um, Could you go over those initials again and say what they are for our audience? Oh, sure. Which was it? CLT, maybe? Um, uh, CLT is Community Land Trust, um, which I think, I mean, Talia mentioned it. It's like a, if you think of just a, a square and a map of land, instead of some random private owner who has inherited it from the last four generations mm-hmm. uh, through all their luck and, and you know, being mm-hmm. like a white guy that had, mm-hmm. you know, um, that it's it's owned by a community group that's usually like a nonprofit sort of thing. And they kind of like vote on their board on what happens to the land. And um, anyway, it, that's, I also, I feel like I, <laughs> we should get somebody that's an expert on these things to, <laughs> to explain them better. Cause I just, I have like a very uh, basic level understanding of them. But yeah, I mean, so like there are models, there's existing models, as you pointed out, like of where it isn't the tenant-landlord relationship. They obviously are not the norm and they're not immensely popular, but I think that could definitely inspire hope if there were more education about these things um, on that local level so that tenants could like co-develop broader solutions to that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, a lot of those solutions are very technocratic or they're very, you know, limited. They're not something that, you know, helps the whole town. They help, you know, just the people who are a part of it. But I also think that they're really important because they still do provide that alternative, like just knowing that that's something people have done and can do Mm -hmm. and just helping with that, like envisioning like, okay, if they could do that, then we could do something like that here. And so I think that's really important. Um, And like I said, it's not, you know, completely decommodifying housing, but it's, I, I think that it's materially like good to take steps like that. Yeah. Mm. You had mentioned, Max, some initials of ten, a tenant union in your area that sounded promising. And then you asked Talia, have you heard of that? She said, no, of course I haven't either. So I was oh. remember if you would elaborate on it, please. Oh, sorry. So that was, so EB PREC. Yeah, that is definitely an acronym. That was like six letters. <laughs> EB PREC is, um, so it's in the Bay Area of California, which is north of where I am in Santa Barbara. It's East Bay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative. Um, and I think they call it East Bay because they are trying to think locally. They're not saying this model is everywhere and Kind of like how Talia said, it may not be even appropriate or desirable to other areas, but in the East Bay, which is typically like, you know, Oakland, Berkeley, like those cities in the Bay, San Francisco Bay area, um, permanent real estate cooperative. And I think they were pretty deliberate in the choosing of the language. Like they wanted to, they're making the point about permanence to kind of name the, um, 
the sort of mass exodus in particular of communities of color within the Bay Area, like Oakland. I don't know the statistics. We should probably get someone from the project on, but um, like the number of black residents that have been pushed out of Oakland just in the last 10 years or something, it's just like horrifying. Um, So, you know, there's, and it's not, you know, gentrification is like racialized. It's not completely racialized, but racial, you know, the racial asymmetry is like obviously an enormous problem. It's, it's also very class, you know, and socioeconomic based, but, um, so they wanted to make it a, uh, to say we want permanent housing. Like we want, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't want like, I mean, Talia mentioned herself earlier on that pretty much every year she moves somewhere. Right. Right. That's becoming way, way more common. Um, where it's just expected every six to 12 months, you have to find a new rental unit and then the rent's going to go up and then, you know, what are you going to do? So permanent real estate cooperative. Um, I feel like I'm trying to sell this thing that I don't know enough (laughs) about. So we should like definitely get, we should try to contact them so they can explain this cool model. But Um, the fact that there are these other models around outside of private and private ownership and commodification of where people need to live is already an eye-opening idea. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, we're almost, we should probably close it out because um, we have a, another one <laughs> in like eight minutes. But we um, do want to thank our Patreon wonderful helpers. Yeah, well, before that, do you, Talia, do you maybe want to um, give a little plug or shout out to the projects uh, that you are involved in so people can learn more? Um, like websites or and things we could put, uh, link into the description of this podcast episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Omaha Tenants United is our local union here in Omaha. Um, and so that's just omahatenantsunited.org or we're also on Facebook um, and Twitter is a little bit less active. And then, sorry for my dog, there's um, the Autonomous <laughs> Tenants Union Network. Um, all Everything, if you search for that, is going to be A-T-U-N- and then hyphen R-S-I-A, which is the um, acronym in Spanish. So Autune has a website and there's a calendar on there that's really awesome because it'll share all of our upcoming trainings um, and there's a resources page. And we've also got office hours with Autune too. So if anybody is thinking about mm-hmm. starting a tenant union or is new to organizing, definitely recommend those Autune office hours because you can hop on with someone um, a little bit more experienced who can kind of give you some guidance. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for all you're doing. It's all part of trying to take this country for people instead of profit. It's so important. Talia. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I guess I should also plug, I do also have a podcast called Tenants United Podcast, um, where I interview other tenant unions. And so that one I try to make like a good resource um, and educational for people who want to organize too. So folks can definitely check that out. Wonderful. Oh, cool. Okay. Maybe uh, give us a link or something, um, an email, and I'll throw that in the description so folks can listen to that as well. Absolutely. By the way, listeners, if you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program, you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home, which is a solo program that Harriet does through Democracy at Work, which is a worker-owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolff and the Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just in Your Head. Capitalism 
hits home is a sort of broader overhead view. It explores the way that capitalism shapes our personal lives, our psyches, our relationships, our families, and it looks particularly at the sea change in American personal life as all Americans, but the top 10 or 20% of Americans, have our security and our chance for a future become as precarious as it always was for minorities and families headed by women. It's not just in your head and capitalism hits home are definitely complimentary. And if listeners would like to check out Capitalism Hits Home, Harriet, where should they go to find it? Either on YouTube or Democracy at Work or on my own website, harrietfraud.com.